I do want to share with you what you know what is our purpose and what is our goal as a community. We are a community, not a facility. The relationships we have with each other are incredibly important. Everything about our faith is about relationships. Everything. You think, well, it's about doing the right thing so we make it to heaven. It's not. Everything about our faith is about relationships. It's about our relationship with God. It's about our relationship with each other. As we go and we look at what are the things that we're supposed to do, every one of those things relates in some way to our relationship with someone. And so when we come together as the church, whether we are a church who has been here for a while and are reimagining, or a new church who is starting and starting fresh and looking for a core and looking for a place and looking for money and all those things, our goal as a church is to not only represent Christ well, but to grow in our own understanding of what that means, as well as making a difference in the world around us. The last few weeks we've spent talking about the way, and Jesus said there is a way. I am the way, but there's also a way that you can walk in. And so we, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about what is some of that way. And uh, we began talking about worship. We've talked about um, self-sacrifice and humility and mercy and justice. Jimmy did a great job uh, last week talking about abiding in Christ. We've been talking about this difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, where orthodoxy is right belief, orthopraxy is right practice, but somewhere in between is where it looks like to follow Jesus. We can have right beliefs, but not right practice. And we can have right practice and not right beliefs. There is somewhere in the middle, and I thought Jimmy did a great job just talking about that that void is filled with abiding in Christ. And that is our call as a church. And that is the place where He has called us to be together and to explore and to discover what is this thing that God wants to do with us? What has He done? What does He want to do um, in the future? And one of the very last prayers that He prayed um, is what Lawson read to us just a few minutes ago. I want to go through, I just want to touch on the highlights of that, but I want you to see that this is not new. This is not something Jesus came up with. But this is something that we have seen throughout the scriptures, beginning with Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But let's jump down back to John chapter 17, verse 10. And I want you to listen for this phrase, may they be one, because you hear this phrase several times in just this short little passage. This is a prayer for unity. It is a prayer that our relationships are intertwined. Our lives are intertwined. And we live in kind of an on-demand world. Like we want to go do what we want to do when we want to do it. Yesterday I, I, uh, I wanted to go to Starbucks and, and work on some stuff for today. And I, I pulled up to my favorite Starbucks and there was a paper sign on the window. We closed at 4.30. I was not happy about that. I don't know why they closed at 4.30. Um, I've been in there before where they've had, you know, they've had to have a staff meeting or um, one time I was there and one of their team members had passed away and they were all headed to the funeral. I mean, there's all kinds of good reasons. They did not wake up that day and think, let's, you know, there's a guy who's going to come in a little after 4.30. Let's just tell him we're closed at 4.30 and watch his reaction. I, that's not what happened. But when you walk up and you see that paper and the thing that you're expecting to happen isn't going to happen, you feel that way, don't you? Just a little bit. 
We are in an on-demand world. We want things when we want them. But the reality is, is that's not the way that the world works. And that's not the way the community is built. It's easy for us to come in and kind of absorb a service or absorb a, a sermon, and you can get way better sermons online than you can get in person here, but, but there's something about the community of people that say, I want to know you and I want to be a part of your life. And Jesus knew this about us. He knew that there was a tendency in us to just kind of just kind of roll up into ourselves and think about what do I need in my spiritual life and in my faith and in my walk and what do I want my church experience to be. And, and yet Jesus knew that the most powerful thing that we would ever be able to do in the world is to demonstrate unity around Christ. That we would be one. John chapter 17, verse 10 says, All mine are yours. He's talking to the Father. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is a fundamental part of who we are supposed to be. It is not a byproduct. It is not, I just happened to find a church, that I'm able to be this in this church. Like, this is the church. And as we've mentioned several times before, I, I, we're just a small piece of the church. Like we have some really wonderful churches in our community. We're just a piece. And we are meant to be one with each other, not just in this room, but with those churches that are worshiping right now in other places. I love the number of community services that are popping up and um, the more churches that are working together, uh, it's just that is a, a more accurate picture of what Jesus expected from us from the beginning. When I, we began Journey, it was, it was not really that way in Chattanooga. In fact, I, I've shared a few times the stories of you know, we, I was pastoring another church in town, and when we started Journey in the same town, it made a whole lot of people really mad. And one of my really good friends just said, you're, you're fishing in my pond. And we didn't. We did not speak for 15 years. I mean, we just recently spoke again. It, it's 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 an attitude towards the church that has been prevalent for a very long time. And I love that it is breaking down in our city. But this is the core. This is one of the last things Jesus prayed. And when we look at Scripture, like there's so many things. Like, how did Jesus brush his teeth? Like, that's not in there. What was his favorite meal? I mean, it was probably Passover, right? But you know, who knows what his favorite meal was? But this is in here because this mattered. This was important. Jesus wanted us to know this because this was foundational to what it was going to look like for us to function as his body in the world that we would be one just as he and the Father are one, which is pretty fantastic when you think about how close that is. You're like, well, I don't know, is that fantastic? Well, you, do, you tell me. Can you explain to me the closest between God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? Can you explain the Trinity? Well, it's like, a, it's like a pie and everything oozes in the middle. I just don't think that's what he's talking about. There's this closeness. Like, I know what's going on in your life. You know what's going on in my life. So the Scriptures go so far as to say, like, you know the sin that I'm committing. And not because you had to catch me in it, because I just told you. Like, I just confessed it to you. Well, I mean, 
I, I, I know very, I, I have, I can count the number of people on one hand that really want to have that kind of relationship with me. I'm not saying you all don't, but, but I can count on one hand the number of people who have come to me and we have committed to this type of relationship. Because it's uncomfortable. And it feels like we're going to lose those friends if we really know who we are. We're scared to be truly vulnerable. We're scared to be truly known. But this is one of the great gifts of our faith, is to be known and accepted even in the midst of our greatest sin. If we jump down to verse 13, which we're not, but if we did, he goes on to say that this this is going to cause their joy to be fulfilled just among themselves. They will have joy among themselves just because they are one. Like part of, part of the eternal life that we are looking forward to is life after death. But part of the eternal life is life right now that can only be experienced if we are united in this way. That's what verse 13 says. If we jump down to Genesis 2, um, verse 15, we find that this is not a new teaching and this is not a new idea. If we go back to the very beginning, we find that God has, has always expected us to be connected into some type of strong, committed community. Genesis 2 says this, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. We all know that. <laughs> that, was, that led to some hard, hard days. From the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Immediately after God creates Adam, he looks down and he says, we should not be individuals. They should not be individuals. God was not an individual. And he said, it's not good to be alone. And yet today what we find if we talk to psychologists or sociologists, we find that people feel more alone today than perhaps at any time in recent history. We can be in a whole room here together and we can I can feel like I'm invisible in this room, even though there's a bunch of people in this room. When we go to lunch, if if no one talks to someone, that person is going to feel like they are completely alone in a room full of people. When our guests walk in the door and no one speaks to them, and I I don't think that ever happens. If we have any guests and no one has spoken to you, I want to hear about it. I I really don't know that that ever happens here. But if it does happen, like that is not good. Because it is not good to be alone. And we can absolutely say, well, he's talking about marriage here. Marriage is just one picture of the relationship that God has called us to. It is not good to be alone. We're supposed to love other people. There is a part of your life that if you are not intentionally loving other people, you are missing out on how you have been created to feel joy. Because loving others is one of the ways you experience joy, even when they don't return it to you. The Scriptures say, you know, it's, and it's not just the people that love us, It's easy to love the people that love us. But we are to love even those that don't love us. This is a fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian. He goes on in Genesis chapter 2, 
Verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, This is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. There's someone like me, he's saying. Not really a great intro line, by the way. Hey, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Not really a great way to say hello, but what he's trying to say is, you're like me. I've never been around someone like me before. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is to our knowledge, the first mention from the beginning of creation in the scriptures that we have of two people meeting each other and sharing space on this earth together. And the very first thing God says to them is, you need to be committed to each other. You need to be committed to each other. You need to leave your father and mother, which, like who? Like if They're, they're going to be thinking, who's that? Like who's our father and mother? <laughs> you need to be committed to each other. What we read over and over in the Old and New Testament is this, that we were created for committed relationships. We were created for committed relationships. So what does it look like for us to live in this world of committed relationships? If we jump back to John 17, verse 14, it says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, which makes or begs the question, well, what is this word that makes the world hate us? What is this word that now we have because of Jesus? And if you want to do a word study, you could absolutely say, well, Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. But that's not what he's saying here. We could say it's the gospel. It is the, the truth that we were all dead in our sin and our trespasses and at the right time God sent His Son to take on all the punishment that we all deserve and He gave His life for us on the cross. But He rose again to conquer death and sin and hell so that we could live eternally with Him. You can absolutely say that's the word, that that's the gospel, but it's really more than that. And if you've spent the last few weeks on the way with us, you know that it's more than that. This word is not simply the gospel. It's not simply Jesus. It's a whole different way of viewing the world. And it's a way that the world doesn't appreciate. Because the world doesn't want to see the world that way. When we talk about humility, the world does not value humility in themselves. Absolutely in others but not in themselves. But yet the most core reality we must face is that we ourselves are broken sinful people if we're going to have a relationship with Christ or with anyone else in faith. Self-sacrifice is not a message that the world wants to hear. Peace is not a message that the world wants to hear. If you have need and I have extra, I'm going to give you my extra is not a message that the world wants to hear. And the world hates that message. 
Putting someone other than ourselves in the center of our worship is not what the world wants to hear because we want to put ourselves there. And so when we proclaim that message, that is the message. Not heaven. Not loving others. I mean, who, who rejects that message? It's all the other stuff. It's a whole different way of seeing the world. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a completely different way of seeing the world. How, how can I love others? As I get up in the morning, my first thought, how can I love others? I would like to tell you that's my first thought when I wake up in the morning. It's usually not, but I hope one day I'll, it will be closer to the first thing I wake up in the morning thinking about. How can, how can I love others? When someone does us wrong, how do we love them? When we do something wrong to someone else, how do we go to them and love them? It's a, it's a whole different way of seeing, seeing the world. Verse 18 in John 17 says He's also sending us into the world. There's a part of this that is not just meant for us to huddle in our church, but to become entangled in the world around us so that they see this thing that has happened in our lives and maybe they will catch it too. Back to John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that You also may be in us so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. He says, not only do I want You to be one, He says, I want you to be one because then they're going to believe that I sent you. So our division hurts the gospel. Our individuality hurts the gospel. That's not the right word. Our individualistic thinking hurts the gospel. We are all have a level of individuality. We're not supposed to all look exactly the same. But when we think of life based on what's best for me and not what's best for us, we actually hurt the ability for the gospel to go out. I think that's one of the reasons that Scripture goes on to say, don't be divisive in the church. Don't be talking about other people behind their backs in the church. Don't be doing these things that are going to hurt relationships in the church because the world sees that stuff. And they're thinking, I don't think I want to be a part of that. Instead, Jesus says, You're gonna, they're going to know I sent them because, because of this. We are meant to grow deeply towards each other in relationships that are just different from the world, that are committed to each other. When someone's hungry, that they're not hungry. When someone who doesn't have a roof over their head, we're going to make sure you have a roof over your head. When someone just has a quirk and no one wants to hang out with them, I'm going to hang out with you. One of the things we want our kids to learn is look, look for the kids that no one wants to hang out with. Maybe don't ask life advice from people you don't know, but go to the people that don't have anyone. I mean, that is one of the expressions of our faith. When we grow towards each other, Jesus expects two things to happen. 
One will mimic his relationship with the Father. And two, we will give validity to the message of Jesus. One, we will mimic his relationship with the Father. And two, we will give, he will, we will give validity to the message of Jesus. And our question then is, well, is the church demonstrating this type of oneness? Are we demonstrating that today? And I think that we, if we were to ask the world, does the church demonstrate this type of oneness? I think that the world would probably say no. But I think quite honestly we would too. Over the last few years, our, the church has become deeply divided. We've made terrible compromises. Can't, can't go a day without seeing someone being arrested in a, in a, in a church staff position. Someone who's taken something from someone or has hurt someone physically or emotionally or sexually. The world looks at the way that we often celebrate great speakers and great leaders and great organizers. And yet what we continue to find is we can put someone on such a pedestal and their skills can so outpace their integrity that they make terrible decisions and terrible choices. And the world is looking for that. And every time it happens, I guarantee they know it before you do. When we look at the division that has developed within us politically, where now it's like you almost want to ask a church, so who do most of your people vote for? I mean, I've literally had people tell me that's how they look for a church. I think, gosh, I mean, that division, like, as I've said before, if your hope is in a political party, you've not been paying attention. <laughs> They're not good with holding hope. Our hope is in Christ. We're not meant to be a people either to be divided politically or this just this ugly nationalism in which now the United States of America is like that's our thing. That's our idol. That's our I mean, that's our hope. And if the kingdom can interact with that, then great. But this, this becomes ugly. This becomes ugly. Are we sharing Jesus? Are we, are we sharing agendas? The church today is seen as part of the problem instead of part of the solution. And what, what is so terrible about this is it the very thing that we're supposed to do to demonstrate how good Jesus is, we're divided and separated. And at times hateful and angry. And unforgiving. And want to let people know what we really think of them. And that is not the way of Jesus. Christianity doesn't work if we don't go all the way. Scriptures talk about it in the sense of be hot or cold, but lukewarm, God will spit you out of His mouth. You've got you've to be an all-in kind of person. All-in doesn't mean you do everything right, but it means I'm working on this stuff. All-in doesn't mean that you look just like everybody else and now you're going to show up in a coat and a tie and, or a, a, a floor-length dress or whatever. I don't know, what, whatever your tradition is, but... 
But it means that this is the driving force of my life. This is what I'm about. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says that one of the reasons that the Jewish nation was able to thrive, even in the midst of all the things they went through, is because they were a creative minority. They were always a minority wherever they were. They were a creative minority, able to survive by being change agents wherever they are. This language um, was also used by Martin Luther King in talking about civil rights in the United States. Talking about the power of a committed group of people committed to each other, a creative minority, the change that they can bring in the world around them. He said this, talking about this period of civil, the civil rights struggle where it has not yet, um, it is still in some ways not yet over. He said, during this period we will have to depend on that creative minority of true believers. The hope of the world is still in dedicated minorities. The trailblazers in human, academic, scientific, and religious freedom have always been in the minority. It will take such a small, committed minority to work unrelentingly to win the uncommitted majority. Such a group may well transform America's greatest dilemma into her most glorious opportunity. Which is exactly what we were created for. We were created for committed community, committed to each other, committed to believers across the city, across the nation, across the world, across time. We are committed for those who will come after us and those who came before us. John Tyson is a pastor of Church of the City in New York. He said this, he said, A creative minority is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knit together in a living network of persons who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. May we be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. If we build these types of loyal relationships, there are a number of commitments we have to make. I want to share some commitments, two steps, and then I want to wrap up for the day. We have to commit that I'm going to stick it out. And I'm going to stick out. We have to commit that I'm going to be there even if no one else is for others. I'm going to lean in rather than just sit back and wait for someone else to lean into me. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to give forgiveness. I'm going to look for ways to encourage rather than ways to tear down. I'm going to look for someone who is struggling so that I can help lift them up. And I'm going to push past my comfort levels to build deeper relationships with people that I do not yet know, but I should. May we be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one.
To wrap up all of this I've shared with you, we have two big first steps. We have many more steps to take, but we have two big first steps as a church. Number one, we do need to find a healthier space to worship in. We are a community, not a facility. I don't know what that's going to be. don't know exactly where that's going to be. But at this point, um, even if someone dropped a massive check on us, we still have challenges in our children's hallway. And that would require a complete rebuilding of a space that we do not own and a whole lot of money that could go somewhere to be put to a lot better use in the community. Number two, we have to move closer towards a community that is one, just as Jesus wanted 2,000 years ago. We have to do that. Like This is not a church strategy. This is not a growth strategy. This is not a, hey, here's how we're going to stay relevant in 2030. This is not a, hey, this is how we're going to get a whole bunch of people to come to our church so we'll be the happening church. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the kingdom. Like This is our faith. It is our commitment to our God, and it is our commitment to each other. And it is our willingness to share our lives with people that don't share our faith. These are the two things we start with. We've got to get financially healthy. We've got to get, as a community, healthier. And we've had some of you guys, you've been visiting, and you've, you've come back a few times. Like, we've got to get to know you. You've got to get to know us. We, it's... As we walk in the door on Sunday mornings and we go, hmm, I've seen them before as I walk to my seat. That can't happen. Like we go to people. I don't, I'm not really comfortable. Like some of you are comfortable with that. Like you're just like, you know, new person and you plum, you're there and you want to talk to them and you're just going to get to know them and you already know their life story before worship even starts. But all of us in this room are like, um, yeah, but they may not like me. And I may say something stupid. And some of you still remember the stupid thing you said in second grade. And let's be honest, it's been a long time since you've been in second grade, but you still think about that stupid thing. And you're afraid I'm going to say another one. And I'm going to think about that for the next 30 years. So I'll just keep to myself. But that is not the way of Jesus. We overcome our comfort levels. To say, you matter. You matter to me. This is important. Our lives together are important. If we sin, you screwed up. But guess what? You're not the only one. Because I did it too. We welcome and we love each other. doesn't mean that we don't at times point out, listen, I think that's a mistake. Accountability is a real part of the Christian life. doesn't mean that we just give in to whatever and we say whatever. I'm going to love you, whatever. I mean, the, the idea that love means I'm just okay with whatever you do, that is, that is not the definition of love we find in Scripture. And Jesus, because of His love for us, died because of our sins. He didn't say, okay, whatever, I'm just going to love you. Oh, we've got to deal with this because this is killing us. This is killing you. This is killing the church. That sin that we hide and we, it keeps resurfacing because we don't let anybody know it's there, so we have zero accountability in that area, is making us miserable, making you miserable. And so when we love each other, we don't look at the sin and go, oh, that's too much for me. Because we all have that same level of sin in our lives. It's different. It's different. 
We all have that level of sin in our lives. So where do we, where do we go from here? Here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to be talking about this leading up to Easter. Uh, we're not going to, the, we're, this is a short series, four weeks, so we'll finish Palm Sunday. But um, here's what I want to, to ask you, and I've asked this before, many of you, I, I'm just very thankful that you've, you've accepted this call. I would ask you that when we have an event, be here. As you know, we don't do a bunch of them. Right? It's not like you're going to be here five times a week. We don't have a whole lot of events. But when you, we have one, be here. When there's a group in your area, go. Go to the group. Meet some new people. It's going to be uncomfortable walking in the door if you don't already know them. But it won't be uncomfortable long. If there's a group in your area, go. If there isn't a group in your area, I'd like for you to start one. If you can help host a meal, you can host a group. You don't have to lead a Bible study. There are, pl- there are opportunities for that if you would like to be in a Bible study, but that's not what the purpose of these groups will be. Choose to love. Choose to make new friends. Not to replace your existing friends, by the way. As if you have to choose between your church friends. This is one of the crazy things. 20 years ago, I was talking to churches I was pastoring and saying, you need to have friends outside the church. Because at the time, within the most statistics said by the, within six months of becoming a Christian, they lost all contact with their non-Christian friends. And that was 20 years ago. Today, it's like, listen, I know you've got tons of friends outside the church, but you've got to have some inside the church too. I mean, we've completely swapped over the past 20 years. It's not enough that we just have our core outside of here. This has to be a core for us too. But it doesn't mean we replaced them or they're not important to us. And what's even better is if we can intertwine those relationships, oh wow, maybe they will believe that Jesus really sent us. We can be a part of renewal in their life too. I encourage you to commit to each other. It was not good to be alone. The very first thing God said once two people were together was you need to commit to each other. You be committed to each other. But also ask this, just as the most ba- one of the most basic building blocks of building relationships. Expect more from yourself than you do from others. The way of the world is to expect more from others than we do from our, ourselves. But I'm just going to ask you during this season to take it upon yourself to say, I'm going to expect this of myself instead of expecting it from others. So when you come in and you're like, I'm standing here, I mean, I'm in the corner, but I'm standing here and no one's coming to talk to me, I'm just going to say, go talk to somebody. Expect more from ourselves than we do from others, at least for this season. A healthy community can expect much from each other. We also have to expect much from ourselves. I'm going to ask you just to do that as we start. Where we want to go from here is to be a healthy church community. Relationally, financially, spiritually, we want to be a church that positively affects the community with our brother and sister churches all around. I don't know what all that's going to look like, but I do know this. Our calling is that we would be one. And we will not fulfill God's purpose for us as a church if we are not. All right? I'm going to pray with you.
and then I'm going to release you to go to lunch. And I hope you'll stick around and do that. And I would encourage you, as you walk out of here, look for somebody you don't know. All you have to do is say hi. That's all you got to do. You don't have to know their life story before you leave. All right? And uh, that's a good step for today. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and built us for community, that you expected to be with us, and that we would not have to do this alone. Pray for those in this room, and they do feel alone. They feel alone right in this very moment. Maybe they're a guest, maybe they've been here for years. Father, I pray that you would help us to break through the superficial parts of our faith, the superficial acts of attending a church, and we will break into just this deeper reality of this joy that is fulfilled within ourselves because we have entered into a level of relationship that is life-changing for us and life-changing for those around us. Father, I pray for wisdom as we move forward whether it be in a, in a space or whether it be um, how we continue to do groups, um, as we relate to people that are, are coming in as guests, and for those who have been here for years who may struggle just to, re, to realize that we are not in the same place we were when we started 15 years ago. Father, I thank you for the grace and the mercy that you give us each day, and I pray we would extend it to those in this room and to those outside of this room. 